Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin. And welcome today, as always, to our show, I guess. I've never called it a show before, but it kind of is a show. Yeah, yeah. Everything is uh, everything is going good. We have a growing team here. We do. Uh, just brought on another therapist who's really fantastic. And she gets to talk today. Yeah, and we have two online products right now that you guys can check out through our website, relationshiprenovation.com. We have a course for couples that you can do at home, that you can watch uh, videos that Tara and I uh, speak in, talk about a concept. Then there's an exercise that you and your partner do together at home. So that's there. And then we also have another program that Tara and Jesse, who's been on our show a number of times, another therapist here, has put together called Relationship Ready. It's for those singles out there. Not even necessarily for singles. It can actually just be for anybody who wants to just explore stuck patterns that they find themselves in in relationships. But we kind of created this at-home program because we heard a lot of feedback from the pandemic and like the disaster it created around the dating scene. And we said, you know, we were just putting our heads together. Like, how can we help people like really find lasting, safe love that feels really good for them. And so we created this 10-week course and it kind of just helps identify red flags, trust our intuition, understand patterns that we might not know that keep repeating themselves. And we made it playful and fun. And so we're excited that that is finally launched. And we also were excited because we have this closed Facebook group where people can really get feedback and support from other members in the Facebook group and maybe find love there too. That's yeah. like my unconscious wish. <laughs> All right. So we are uh, very lucky today. We have a guest on. She is another clinician at our center, a super energetic and talented person, and her name is Renee Berger. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also, this is kind of cool, a certified clinical trauma professional. And on the personal side, she is a partner in a committed relationship. She's a mom, obviously a therapist. And a musician, too. So, uh, hello, Renee. Hi. Hi, Renee. Thanks for having me I'm going to add the word playful, too. Super playful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, will you just give us a little background? Just just fill us in on who is Renee Berger. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I'd have to start with my family growing up. And I'd say that one of the things that stands out to me in my family growing up was that we really made a priority every summer to, to adventure. And we had a particular type of adventure that we always went on. My dad was obsessed with roller coasters. Oh, wow. That's and so, so cool. every summer we would go camping and then we would go camping in a particular place that was in close proximity to an amusement park. And so, <laughs> I love it. you know, so cool. the idea of being playful and adventure and like the adrenaline rush of doing something unexpected mm. and maybe what other people would think is scary has been part of who I am and, you know, what I've learned is wow. true since the beginning, I guess. Yeah. What brought you into the field of psychology, therapy? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I've been in education from the very beginning. Like 2005, I graduated and I became a public educator, worked with middle school and high school kids. And it seemed like there were always kids in my classroom before school. There were always kids in my classroom at lunchtime. And then it was a process to get the kids to leave my room at the end of the day. Like, 
that does mentoring not surprise me and at relationship all. was always really central to my classroom. And when I became pregnant with my son, I needed to find something that would, you know, adjust to the new changes in being a mom. Um, but I didn't want to give up that part of me. Right. And I started mentoring people in the community, like people who just like wanted to have like a big sister or a cool aunt, and I would just hang out with them. And my husband actually brought this to my attention. He goes, you mean to tell me you've never thought about being a counselor? Like, have you ever thought about being a therapist ever, even once? And I was like, no, mm. never. And he's like, maybe you should look into it. And wow. so that afternoon I looked into it and sure enough, I had just been accepted to grad school at the time. And the grad school that I had been accepted to for a different program actually had a therapy program. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Wow, you could just switch. So I just switched into the different stream and- Just clicked. All of a sudden it just now clicked. now I'm here. When you were talking about all the kids being in your classroom, I was thinking like, I could see you as a Pied Piper, you know, somebody who can just like <laughs> rally so a troop of people behind you. You know, I was trying to explain to somebody like what it was like being a play therapist or I'm not technically a certified play therapist, but play is a huge part of what I do. Right. And I was trying to explain to somebody like, I think I never really wanted to stop being a kid, yeah. yeah, you know, like there's something really that I treasure about childhood and not necessarily naivete, but like I really treasure the playfulness. Like I never wanted to lose that. And I, oh. I treasure that in kids. This is one reason why I couldn't wait for you to be a guest on our podcast because I would see you, you know, going into your offices and or when I would come right after you had a session and there's all these like Hulk gloves out and statue things and stuffed animals and you had just been with a couple and I'd just be like, Renee, like help me understand how you're using, right? Because I'm more of a cognitive behavioral. Mm -hmm. And then in our group supervision, you would kind of talk about all these different ways that you use these interventions with couples to help them be playful. And you know, when couples come in here, play, no, it doesn't even, it's like there's just such this heavy heartedness and this mm -hmm overwhelm. And so I was like, you know, you're, you've already taught me so much in the time well, you've been here. You. And I thought, wow, what a great area for you to talk about play and couples. Yeah. So today, the topic that you're bringing to us mm -hmm. is play. You know, obviously, we talk mostly about couples, but I think maybe at first, just helping people have a framework for like, play within the therapeutic realm? Like how does play and therapy go together? Well, I think in order to talk about that, I need to talk about how that showed up in my classroom when I was a teacher, because that's where it mm -hmm. really started. I remember being a teacher and I would, you know, the beginning of every school year, I would go through my list of expectations or guidelines for my classroom. And one of the things that I told my students always that they could expect when they were in my classroom is that my number one rule is that you're going to have fun. Mm. And my follow-up to that is we'll be safe, you know? So yeah. is it fun? Is it safe? And those were like huge pillars of my classroom and what we did. Because in my experience, you know, and what human development has taught me and reinforced through teaching, through therapy, is that we cannot, you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. we can't learn in an environment of threat. Yeah. If we do not feel safe, we cannot be curious. And I think at the heart of playfulness is curiosity. And so when we have a couple 
come in, Mm -hmm. one of the things that they have when they first meet is this infatuation with one another, this curiosity. I can't wait to like spend time with this Mm -hmm. person and learn more about this person. And they might ask me a question about me and Mm -hmm. I can't wait to teach them about me. There's this it is. It feels playful, but there right. is this curiosity that they treasure mm-hmm. about those experiences together, and I think that's something that I try to recreate in the therapeutic setting: is this sense of curiosity and wonder between mm-hmm. the two of them. This is a place where we can feel safe. And in my first sessions, I always talk about the family circus has two tent poles. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the big tent's held up by two things that we feel safe and that we feel worthy of affection, worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things you're going to hear me repeat over and over and over again. But those are the two things that I promise you yeah. that I will uphold while you're in this space. Yeah. And so I'll explain, like, that's what I want to try to foster between the two of you is that I'm teaching you how to foster an environment of safety and love. And hopefully you can leave here and begin to replicate that and create that on your own two feet. I feel like that's just such a great way to start off a couple session. I mean, when you said it, just hearing it feels calming and like, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Because I think a lot of couples come in and like, Oh gosh, is it? Am I going to be blamed? What's going to? Ha- is it going to be all my fault? Like, mm-hmm. and just kind of presenting that and that intentionality feels safe already from the get go. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times when couples come in, they're also thinking like it's almost like we're a mediator, like they're coming in front of oh. like a judge or somebody who's going to like tell them who is right and who is wrong, and <laughs> right. th- which is like so stifling and feels like really yes. not very right. fun. <laughs> yeah, and for you to be leading with like sort of a totally different thing that this is going to be playful, mm-hmm. like wow, like like I would think for a couple that that would feel like. Well, it'd be a gear shift, you know. Totally. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, as, as you were talking about, you know, becoming a mediator, it, it made me think of a costume. It made me think of a role. Yeah. You know, I have different roles. I'll have different hats that I put on while yeah. I'm in this space. And I hear that there's this role, there's an expectation of of a judge. Mm-hmm. And for me, I see I see an opportunity to say, you know what? It sounds like the judge is a really important character in the story that you're telling. And I wonder if you could go over to the play bin and pick a toy that represents the judge. Yeah. So what I what I tell a lot of couples actually, and I'm looking here at the table that we're sitting at, and it's a wood table, and I can see kind of like the the knots of the wood in it, is I'll I'll reference to the coffee table and I said, you know, this is this is a coffee table made from a tree, and trees have rings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we walk into a relationship, we're not just the person that we are at that moment, but we're, you know, in my case, we're 40 and 39 and 38. We're all of these ages all at the same time. We bring all of that experience and all of that story. Mm-hmm. And the rings tell a story. There are some rings that are, you know, wider than others. It was a good good water year. It was a yeah. not a lot of nutrients that year. And so when you come in the space, I'll tell couples, like, all of you is invited in this space. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe... One part of you has had to exercise a lot of control recently, and it's gotten a lot of tension. It's gotten a lot of water, but I'm seeing other rings, and they're invited to come into this space too. So, you know, I I start to help them see or identify or playfully name, like, different parts of themselves. And when they finally realize that they're able to be 
all of themselves and begin to replicate that in the context of the relationship, I can be all of myself. Yeah. We start to see a lot of really good movement. So so a lot of couples out there are in a place where they're not having fun with each other anymore. It feels real stiff and controlled, right? It's not enjoyable. It's almost like it's just a freaking grind. They don't feel that freedom. When you play, you're free, you know? You're using your imagination. Totally, and you can see it. They're wearing it in their bodies. You know, they are grimacing. You can see their jugular sticking out of their neck. They're clenching their (laughs) jaw. They're talking through their teeth. You know, they're averting their eyes from one another. You you see all these different like communication cues that indicate that they're physically uncomfortable. And then no surprise, we find out that there's conflict and they're they're holding on to that pain and there's no relief. Yeah. You know, it's like the physical manifestation of being static. You know, static doesn't sound good when it happens on our TVs and it it doesn't feel good when we see it in our bodies. And in the therapeutic setting, when I see that grimace, it starts with naming it, you know, saying like, wow, I'm watching Mm -hmm. the two of you sit next to each other and I'm watching, your muscles seem tense. That seems like it really hurts. And then a lot of times the next thing that they say is, well... I have things that I, it is painful and I have things I want to talk about, but I'm really afraid I'm going to get judged. And then I often will follow with saying, well, I look at us all as being storied people. We're people with stories. You walked into this room and you are the expert on your story. Mm. And all of the characters that you have been in your story are invited in this space. Mm-hmm. So even if one of the characters has something uncomfortable to say, they're invited. And I'm really curious about what they have to say. And then oftentimes I'll say something like that and then I look at the other partner. And a lot of times there will be an expression of like, oh no. It's the, you know, the, the reciprocal judgment that they're expecting. They wear it all over their face. And then I'll I'll do the exact same thing. And I'll say, you know, when I mentioned that all of him was invited in the room or all of her was invited in the room, I watched your eyes get really big. And I watched you kind of scoot away in your chair a little. And I'm, when I back away from something, I, I'm wondering if I'm safe around it. I'm trying to make safe distance. Is there something about yeah. the situation that seems unsafe? And they're like, they'll nod emphatically. Yeah. And, and I was like, you know what? The part of you that feels scared is invited in this room right yeah. now. And I'll say, you know, it seems like that part of you like maybe they're younger, like it's a really young part of you. Yeah. And I'll give them permission. I was like, you know what? I know that you're a grown up now and it's okay to be a grown up right now, but I wonder if that part of you has something to say. Could you like get quiet for a minute and think about what that part of you is upset about or scared about? And I'll ask the couples to talk to each other like, you know, two eight-year-olds on the playground. Yeah. Like, let's just imagine for a minute that you're on the playground, you're eight years old, and then you see another eight-year-old that kind of has that look, that wide-eyed, you know, backing away look, like, what would you want to do for somebody? And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you'll see their posture shift. Yeah. You'll, I'll watch, and this might be the first or the second session. This might be the first session where they're telling me what the problem is. Yeah. And when I ask them to, like, Even just imagine, imagination is so powerful. We talk about play. You know, imagination is so powerful. And I ask them to imagine their partner as a child. And I just watch them soften. 
Yeah. And and they all of a sudden they're like now they're looking at their partner yeah. with that imagination and, and and even seeing the possibility. That's what imagination is. It's it's considering possibility, possibility. growth, hope, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so they'll they'll look at their partner and just for a moment, and that's all they need. Yeah. Like we think about neurotransmitters and, and like neurochemicals and that process, like that's all they need to get that little boost. Yeah. yeah. They see that possible story and they soften and they're like, oh, to that person. Now all of a sudden there's permission, there's safe permission to it's a game. Yeah. It's acting, it's playing pretend, it's playing dress up. We're not a couple in a fight anymore. Now now I'm playing pretend, you know, and I'm talking to the other eight-year-old and I, they say, I kind of want to give that eight-year-old a hug. Mm-hmm. And then I'll look at them and say, oh, well, why don't we do that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why you go to therapy, I think, you know, at the end of the day, though, because what you're talking about is you're asking people to take a drastically mm-hmm. different approach to the dynamics that they're struggling with. Right. And couples are just so caught at in, home exactly. in, yeah. in the repetitive patterns of communication mm-hmm. and the repetitive patterns right. of feeling. Right. And it's hard for them to break out of that in totally. such a creative way Totally on their own. Yeah. It, and I what I heard too was, because I think people come in and it's all internalized and it feels like all stuck and confusing and that you're kind of externalizing and you're, mm-hmm. and you're naming parts. So it's not I'm not anger, but anger is a part of me. Mm-hmm. I'm not insecure, but insecurity is a part of me. And mm-hmm. that being able to externalize, that's what gives us the space mm-hmm. to start to heal. And you start to make sense of it. And then you get to start to integrate all these pieces and be accepting of them all. But a lot mm-hmm. of people don't even know that they're there. Right. It's like, oh, I thought I was just sad. I thought mm-hmm. I was just mad. I thought mm-hmm. I was just angry. I thought I was just depressed. I thought I was just anxious. It's like, no, how do you incorporate all of these pieces, see them for what they are, mm-hmm. be okay with them, mm-hmm. and then let them in, be incorporated and integrated into your daily life within your relationship and within yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it, I'm hearing what both of you are saying, like, you know, incorporating that into everyday life. And I hear you talking about, EJ, I hear you talking about how we're at home in that context, and it's hard to take that leap at home. Yeah. You know, to, to kind of go back and readdress, like, what is a practical way to simulate what's happening neurologically, what's happening cognitively? How do we simulate that kind of experience at home in a way that heals, in a way that feels safe? Even if, you know, we don't want it to feel like high school improv class. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I you know, like not every couple, like there are, there will be couples in the world that are like, let's play pretend. But there are other couples, mm-hmm. they're, they're not yeah. in a place where that feels safe. And again, right. the two tent poles, am I safe, yeah. am I loved? So I'm thinking of the research actually. And a lot of it points back to creating an environment where the brain can be curious, where the brain does not feel threat. And sometimes talking about the problem, and it feels a little ironic as a therapist to say this, but sometimes when you're at home and you're stuck in a cycle, talking about the problem is not helpful. helpful. (laughs) And I'm thinking actually personally, you know, in my own life, there have been times like I have two kids, I have my husband, and there have been times where, especially during the pandemic, where we would just all be like toast. 
at the end of the day. We are depleted of all of the emotional stamina, all of the intellectual stamina. We're just done. And there were so many times where all of us would just kind of like look at each other and say, let's go on a bike ride. Yes. And we would drop everything and just get on our bikes and go do a couple miles and come back. And it was gear shift, total total gear shift, you know, like let's stop doing what we're doing. Sometimes it's not necessarily play in, in the sense of like, I'm playing pretend, but sometimes it's a shift of behavior. Sometimes it's a, let's do something completely and totally different from what we're used to doing. If we're stuck here, let's Try something new, you know, something completely and totally different. And I think sometimes play is is an experience that you do, you know, alongside somebody. Mm-hmm. I think about conflict a lot of times. You know, intimacy can be turning toward one another, and that you know it can be good. But when you're in a in a conflict, you know, you're you're also turning toward one another. Yeah, and that kind of you know you think about like. The communicative substance when somebody's like looking at you and glaring at you, that's pointy. That yeah. hurts. We might not be ready for that. That sounds scary. So let's do something alongside one another, like right. ride a bicycle or garden or play catch or take the yeah. dog on a walk. You know, let's do something totally different. Absolutely. And that creates a safety that we can do something with. I mean, because what I'm hearing too is shifting the experience then allows your brain to not go into that negative looping that we just biologically do, which then Mm -hmm. feels re-traumatizing over and over and over, which is why nine out of 10 couples are like, we just keep getting stuck in this. Mm -hmm. And that by breaking it up, like, Mm -hmm. let's just do a bike ride. Let's go out and play catch. Let's go on a walk. Mm -hmm. That actually is giving like your little neurons a a chance. chance Mm -hmm. And then you can come back and try to do it differently. It's so important. This is why we use our code word. Mm -hmm. You know, like code word is like, hey, I can tell that this is about to not go, I'm not going to be my best self and I'm Mm going to do whatever I can to not go into a repetitive pattern. So I'm going to take that break. Maybe Mm -hmm. usually we say in that break to do some mindfulness breathing, but I almost think it's like. Well, I like, yeah, I like what you're saying is like the addition to the code word of like, that's what we stop what we're doing. But then maybe our action is we go for a walk together. We go. Mm -hmm. You know, we do something together that's either physical or just a completely shifting mind mm-hmm. and body experience. Absolutely. And and see what happens, you know. Yeah. I mean, what we've learned about, we talk about like what, what creates that felt sense of safety? What creates that felt sense of love? Again, there is no learning. There is no growth. There is no play without felt safety. safety. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, you know, what creates that sense of felt safety in the brain? What's really happening when we create felt safety in the brain? And I, it comes down to neuroplasticity and what facilitates neuroplasticity. And, you know, the research says again and again and again, physical exercise, mm. mindfulness, interoception, you know, Basically, the idea of like looking at oneself with, you know, an intention of non-judgment. Oh, introspection. Yeah, introspection. We're saying the same thing, everybody. Yes. I just talk in an Appalachian dialect from time to time, (laughs) and it's hard to understand me. (laughs) I love it. Okay, continue. (sighs) It's okay. So the research, you know, it has, it's continued to build on this idea that neuroplasticity happens. And what's funny is neuroplasticity on the atomic level is basically one part of the brain giving the other part of the brain a blanket and a hug. Yeah. Like 
physically, that's what's happening on the teeniest, tiniest level. So it's cuddling, it's creating connection, but you do those through physical exercise. You do that through mindfulness and you do that through basically trying new challenges, like mental exercise, that kind of idea, Yeah, learning. And so those kinds of things create an environment where, you know, that kind of playfulness, that kind of felt safety is is possible. Yeah, is possible. Well, we definitely just scratched the surface on this topic and it's super useful in a lot of ways. It's useful definitely for people to understand that there's interventions out there when you go to couples therapy or individual therapy that can be super enjoyable and super creative and expansive and not kind of that fearing thing that a lot of people come into therapy that it's going to be this like painful experience. But then there's also this whole idea around like just cultivating safety and play in your relationship that I think we got to dig deeper part, into. Yeah. So we're going to do a part we're going to do a two part with series Renee Berger on this one and we're going to come back. What did you say Terry? It's the second part is going to be It's going to be ways that couples can play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome because like that's that's what we want to do. Resources and tools and and not necessarily that you have to be in therapy, right? But yeah. we're just going to like give resources on what you can do. What yeah. what can we do that will create that environment of like exactly. neuroplasticity and, and felt safety? What can we yep. do? And growing together, right? Because if it, like neuroplasticity yeah. moments that you share with your partner, I got to think are amazing, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you, Renee, for your wisdom, your personality, your playfulness. It's definitely having a major impact on our center with our individuals oh, and couples you. that you see. And we feel very grateful that you are here with us on our team. It Absolutely. is such an honor to be here. Thank you. Right on. Well, thank you, Renee. Thank you, Tara, for being here as thank well. You, it was AJ. nice of you to come. Your lamp is like, the lamp is totally like Yeah, a, I can see your I right can see eye. your left eye. <laughs> <laughs> You are just a piece to me. <laughs> it's a part. It's just a part. <laughs> All right. Well, so take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.